0: Have you ever wanted an opportunity to delve deep into the ADGUS scorecard so you can really understand what it means? If so, this episode of Goat Gab is for you. This week, Cameron and I are so excited to welcome Trinity Smith Malmanis as our guest to help decipher the general appearance category. We hope you enjoy this first part of three episodes on deciphering the ADGUS scorecard.
1: Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I am Cameron, and I'm Laura, and today we are joined by a very special guest that I am very excited about, Trinity Smith Malmanis. Did I say that right, Trinity?
2: Absolutely. Perfect. Happy to be here.
1: Awesome. Tell us a little about yourself, your background in goats, and um, some of, your, um, kind of your, your connection with the industry.
2: Yeah, so um, I live in California, and well, I'm Trinity Melmanis, and I live in California, and um, I raise La Mancha's um, under the Goat son herd name, and I also take care of and um, manage um, the herd of Shining Moon Alpines, and I have a token Nubian in my barn that belongs to my family, Um, which raises Wingwood Farm Nubians. And so I um, was basically born into the goat world. My parents have been raising goats for longer than I've been alive. And um, I grew up doing 4-H and went through all the youth stuff and then went off to college. And my major was um, sports medicine or exercise science is what we called it. And I played Division Three softball. And when I was done with all that, I decided that I really wanted to get back into goats. And I went off and started working for Redwood Hill Farm and worked there for eight years and then got married and had two children. And here I am now. I'm a judge and um, I used to be an appraiser. I'm not anymore, but I used to be an appraiser. And I currently am a District 8 director.
0: You're a busy woman. I am
2: a busy woman.
1: Well, and it's and it's awesome. And I remember I kind of got my first um, not even experience, but glimpse of you working with the Redwood Hills uh, dairy goats and obviously seeing you show some of those beautiful goats that they have on those farm. And it's been fun to see you kind of go your own direction as well and, and to really see where um, the goats on herd and, and then now the Shining Moon herd go off as well. Um, and I'm very excited to see um, those go- or herds and where they're going to go in the future as well.
2: Yeah, it's been, um, it's been really exciting. And, you know, I had had the opportunity to work with um, a lot of herds, not just Redwood Hill, but other herds like uh, Rouse Hagenbergs and Castomers Dairy Goats and Lakeshore. And when I was in 4-H in high school, I went around and clipped goats for everyone. And so it's been really great to get all that experience and knowledge. And I really feel like it's helped me to move my own herd forward now.
0: So Trinity today, I was working out in the barn wearing um, my 2016 Adga National Show shirt. And as I took it off uh, this morning, I'm like, oh, there are two of Trinity's (laughs) notes on the back of this shirt. That's pretty cool. So you had um, the national champion La Mancha and the national champion recorded grade that year in 2015, right? Yeah, that was um, super exciting.
2: And, you know, it was... um, I. I kept my goats at Redwood Hill Farm um, when I worked there, and then in 2013, we moved um, them to their own farm after I got married, and um, 2015 was kind of really the first year that, you know, I was out on my own, and it was a, you know, a true herd where it wasn't just a few goats in a large herd, and um, I was really proud of that moment and super shocked and surprised. (laughs)
0: That's pretty that would be pretty both shocking and surprising. That would be a lot of fun. So, congratulations. Thanks.
1: Trinity, last question before we go into our formal part of our podcast with the with the top breakdowns and topics and such. Yeah. Did you have to wear one of those hats um that like the 4-Hers wear when you showed in 4-H and the t- and like the scarf and everything that the California State Fair makes the kids wear?
2: Oh, absolutely. I there are some very classic Trinity pictures um of me and my little green scarf and my hat that was too heavy on one side and not heavy enough on the other side because of all the pins. And um, those were my favorite days. I used to try to get away with wearing it in my belt, but in like at the California State Fair, they wouldn't let you wear it in your belt. You had to put it on.
1: <laughs> wow. For our, I- listen- for our listeners that haven't seen like pictures of that – Go ahead and try to find some exhibitors that have exhibited at the California State Fair in the past. You will see it is a whole different dress code that the kids have to wear in the show ring compared to just a normal show. It's very impressive. <laughs> that it is.
0: I think it's pretty classy looking. Honestly, I think that's I, I've always loved those pictures and thought, why don't the other states do that? That's kind of fun.
1: Thinking about that though, let's go in, uh, Laura. What's specifically been happening this week at your farm? Um.
0: Well. Hot and not hot, rain and not rain, um a lot of rain all at once. Like if if uh you look um past the bridge in the little tiny town that I live in, it looks like we have lake what lakefront property. We had over fifteen inches in about four days. So everything's flooded here. Um I can't drive where I need to drive without really sitting and thinking about what roads are open and closed. So that's kind of crazy. Um, thankfully, the rain has come at different elements that's allowed my goats to still be able to eat. So this time they're not on a feeding strike, which is great because we're milking three times a day now, getting ready for nationals. So uh, that's, you know, you don't realize how much time milking takes up until you're doing it three times a day. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. And this is keeping us busy.
1: And what are your times you're milking three times a day? Are you on like an eight hour schedule? Are you on like a eight, eight and six or what are you, what, what are your, what's your regimen there?
0: Um, it, it, it pans out to be like five two and eight. So not quite eight hours spacing, but you know, kind of, um, yeah, it's, it, it's not an exact science, but it is milking them a little more frequently. And of course, in my mind, I justify it saying if they had kids on them, they wouldn't be equally spaced out either. So um, it's the stimulation that's that's the important thing. So that's kind of where we're at. I'm really lucky that I've got um, that I've had daughters home this past week who have been able to milk during the middle of the day and then um, for the next a few weeks, I have a nephew who's going to do that for me because I've got daughters that are back at work. So um, it's, as I've said before, it's always a family effort when you have animals that are going to some of these bigger shows. And, you know, thank goodness I'm really blessed to have family that have dairy goats too and they're comfortable helping out. So that's what it looks like for me.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense there. I think um, I echo Laura a lot of your sentiments. We got 10 inches of rain yesterday. Um, and so, and that was on top, that was Saturday. We got that. That was on top of about five or six more inches we got on Friday night. Um, so it's been raining like crazy here. We've gotten more straw. Um, and yeah, the, we've been trying to keep the goats comfortable and the barn dry, which I think is an impossible task, um, when you get that much rain. Um, so yeah, that, that's been crazy. And then we also retattooed a goat and we're, we're on pins and needles, Because we sent that paper in to get the um, re-tattoo that we had written on there and stamped from ADGA. So we're on pins and needles waiting for that to come back. Trinity, I bet you'd like
0: us to send this rain back out west your way, huh?
2: I would gladly, gladly take some. I'm not even sure I know what rain looks like anymore.
0: Oh, yuck.
1: Well, besides the, um, being warm, what, what's happening on your farm, Trinity?
2: Well, um, I'm not in an unsimilar situation as you, except for the rain. Um, we're getting prepped to head to Louisville and I'm also milking three times a day. Not all the goats, but some of them. And, um, just trying to deal with the heat. We're in a pretty good heat wave right now and make sure that. Everybody stays happy and healthy um, and just trying to organize and get ready to go here in a few weeks.
1: Yeah, that's a big undertaking because you're driving across the country. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, we were thinking the same way. How (laughs) long of a trip is that? Um, Well, we're going to take four days
2: to get there. So we'll leave on Monday and then we'll go in um, on Friday
1: exciting very exciting there Uh, and are you traveling with some some herds as well
2: um i'm traveling with my sister um who's bringing the wingwood farm nubians so we're gonna travel together and then um i think there are a couple other herds coming from um california but i think they'll be um on a different schedule than us because they will come in on saturday so they'll be like a day behind us
1: Gotcha. So Trinity, you will be helping out then on Saturday with everything and and whatnot there?
2: Totally. I'm scheduled to use my um amazing amazing laser vision linear appraiser eyes to read tattoos at VetCheck check all day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I have to use my judge's eyes to read tattoos as well. So um yeah, I will be I will be right there in the sun with you. And it probably will be a little bit uh more of a humid heat than the California heat.
2: Yeah, I'm um not looking forward to it. I the last time I made this trip, we stayed in some fairgrounds in Illinois the last night and I'm pretty sure I almost died. I, it was so humid and I just was dripping sweat and like could hardly breathe. I'm a dry heat kind of girl.
0: <laughs> wow, bless your heart. Yeah. We
2: did get to see some tractor different. or some tractor pull though that night at the Illinois Um for her there.
0: (laughs) So there was some entertainment.
2: Totally.
1: I'm sure the goats loved it though. (laughs) All right. I think um we would be hard. I I think we can't not talk about them on this podcast. What's happening in the world of Adka. And I think all I think all three of us we kind of talked about it beforehand. Um Everybody just needs to maybe take a deep breath about the Adga National show.
0: Yeah. What, what, what can you say about it? I mean, you know, at this point I feel like it's been chewed and ruminated and chewed and ruminated and, and haters are going to hate. And, you know, no matter what your feeling is on it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen probably the way that the committee has put it together. There's not really not, much that can be done about that at this point. I think I think that that's they've made that pretty clear. So I think we just need to go forward and and make the very best of it that we can and people that are going to go have a tremendous time, have a great time. I hope I see you all there. And the people that have chosen not to go feel confident with that decision and and let's move forward to maybe a, a more opened up year in 2022. Yeah, and, you know, I think that um, it's just really important, you know,
2: regardless of what the outcome is, and, um, you know, is that the show is going to go forward, and, you know, a lot of people are putting a lot of hard energy and work, you know, the three of us just talked about, you know, being out there milking our goats three times a day, and, you know, all of the extra work we put in and just not to downplay all the hard work of the people that do choose to attend. And there's a lot of reasons people choose to attend and a lot of reasons that people choose not to attend every year. And um, to just try to, you know, consider that when we're, um, you know, voicing your opinion, think about, you know, how, how much work other people are putting in. Um, and, you know, that those people deserve the recognition that they that they put in the work to get their goats there and that's their choice
1: Absolutely. And I think one thing I want to say, maybe maybe a little bit different tone here, is that the ribbons are the same size no matter where the national show is, no matter what rules there are, no matter if it's on the East Coast, the West Coast, or even in the Midwest. Ribbons are the same size. A blue ribbon is still a blue ribbon. A chair is still a chair. A brown ribbon still looks ugly. So that's, that's my two cents.
0: Hey, I like those brown ribbons. I'll take I'll take those all day long. That's fine with me.
1: You, you know what? You come to my pens after the Alpine. And I'll give you all the brown ribbons you want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've earned them, Cameron.
1: <laughs> well, perfect. You there. know,
0: I think I think the other thing too to think about is: does anybody go back and look at the past national champions from years past? That I think, um, at least those of us that have grown up in goats, look at those pictures, and you know, those were kind of the poster girls in our minds. I never thought. Now, how many goats were there in the class that Luminary beat or, you you know, you don't don't look at that. You just look at the fact that it's a huge honor to be a national champion. So there's a lot of work and a lot of blood, sweat and tears and love that went behind those, no matter how big that show is.
1: You're exactly right there. And I will say the goats have changed over the years. I'm looking up. Some goats right now, actually. And, you know, w- would you be able to say that some national champions might not be as competitive as, as today as they were back in the past? Oh, absolutely, because breeds have changed so much. But remember, they are still a national champion. They were the best that day by the given judge. They won the rosettes and they got the award of that there and they're ever enshrined in history and on the back of a bunch of shirts. So there's nothing we can't take away from the fact that those people were there they put in the hard work and those people um, found success
2: and those shirts last a long time i just got out my shirt from 1999 when it was at the california state fair and that puppy is still in really good shape and soft really soft love that puppy. i love it
0: That's <laughs> love <wonderful>. that shirt <laughs>
1: Well, perfect. I think thinking about goats, thinking about the national show, thinking about animals that are going to excel in their appearance there, I think it's perfect for today's topic. And we're going to be breaking down the Adga scorecard with some of our friends, some former appraisers, current appraisers, judges, um, and all around people that, that Laura and I really admire in terms of their goats, in terms of their knowledge of goats as well. And Trinity is the first one that's going to come on with us, and we're going to talk about General appearance and really put a big focus on general appearance because it is a big chunk of the scorecard as well.
0: I think with general appearance too, you know, it's it's a great place to start as well because if you're just starting out with dairy goats, most likely you're starting out with kids, and that is so vitally important when you look at junior stock um, and how they're put together because general appearance is one thing that. it it can change a little bit, but it's not going to change drastically with time. Um, or I don't think it does, especially, you know, certain things like feet and legs and, and things like that. So I'm really eager to hear from Trinity and kind of her thoughts on general appearance and, and breaking down the scorecard.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, I think what you said is, is really, um, is really something that we should point out is, is that, um, you know, goats will change in terms of levels of maturity and, um, and things like that. But if you look at the foundation of general appearance, there are telltale signs of all of the things where an animal might need to be improved in general appearance. And so, you know, you'll have an animal that, sure, the shoulders get worse over time, mostly due to wear and tear and things like that. But if you look back at that animal when they were a kid, you can certainly find indicators that that was going to happen. And so, um, you know, general appearance, I think that you're right in that you can look at those, you know, looking at structure of your young stock is really going to help you to have better older stock.
1: So Trinity, I guess my first question for you is, and I guess it's more of a general one, What is general appearance in terms of the Adka scorecard?
2: Right. So, um, general appearance is, um, you know, basically the structure of the animal. It's that, how does the animal, um, work biomechanically? So how do they get around, um, you know, in their life? How do they move? How do they use their feet and legs? And general appearance, um, is made up of all of, you know, several portions of structure that we've broken down. So you have their, um, their head and that's one section that you evaluate. And then you have their shoulders and then their, um, back and their rump and their rear legs and their front legs and their feet. And, um, we, we've broken all of those things down to try to, um, find an animal and, You know, the point of our scorecard is the animal that functions at a high level for a long period of time. And so general appearance is the structure of the animal and and how that animal functions um, in their everyday normal life in the things that they do biomechanically. um, Getting around, walking, laying down, getting up, jumping on the stanchion, climbing the fence, you know, fighting, all of the things that they do um, on an everyday basis is, um, their general appearance. And then if you want to kind of direct it towards more of, um, the performance programs like shows or linear appraisal, you know, it's the total package of, of movement of the animal, um, the fluidity and the style and, you know, the grace and, and all of those things that we look for when we judge
1: animals. Gotcha. I I don't have my guidebook in front of me here, but um, I know it always talks about kind of the framework or generally how they look. And that's how, like, I like to look at general appearance, even in my own herd and kind of what I'm judging, but it's how, and I, I love the way you put it in terms of how they walk. Because I, I don't think necessarily you can tell when a goat's not walking normally, whether it can't walk around its mammary system because it's too big, or maybe it's like walking on eggshells is what I also like to refer to it to, or they or their gait is a little bit off in terms of how they do that, and they paddle a little bit with their front feet. I know that's kind of a linear appraisal thing, but... But I, you know, I can definitely tell. and I love the way how you talked about it from a biomechanics standpoint. It's so important and often overlooked, I think, as well in terms of the scorecard and and even evaluating your own herd in your barnyard.
2: Right. And so so kind of a funny story. I was telling you um, when I went to school, when I went to college, I majored in uh, sports medicine or exercise science is what we called it. And um, I was really fascinated by human biomechanics. And you know, the ways that humans move, sit to stand, um, you know, laying down to standing up like the all of the motions that we go through extension, um, you know, uh, flexion, all of the biomechanics of humans. And when I got really more involved back into the goat world, I've become really fascinated by goat biomechanics, which. You know, can you, you can mirror a lot of human things, but just the biomechanics of the goat. And um, I'm really passionate about, you know, watch it, like you said, watching the animals move and seeing the things that you like about them and seeing the things that you don't like about them and how to find the root of the problem or the reason that they excel in those things. Um, and so it's, it's more of like a scientific approach to it, but I really think that it helps to, um, you know, understand why these things are important is, as if you understand what an animal needs to do biomechanically, like being able to lay down, being able to jump on the stanchion, being able to stand up on their rear legs, being able to walk around a really, really, really large udder, all those kind of things.
0: So Trinity, I can remember judges in years past making comments about how important heads are when you look at a dairy goat and that the head kind of sets the tone for the rest of what you're going to see general appearance wise and and also probably running in somewhat to body capacity, which I know we're not going to touch on much today. Do you agree with that kind of a statement? Um, I do.
2: I I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily a head kind of gal, um, but I do agree that, you know, generally what you see in the head is the type of goat that you're going to have follow. So if you have a really square boxy head that's, um, you know, not real long, but kind of wide and pretty deep, then you're likely going to have that style of goat come behind it. If you like that style of goat, great. Then you have exactly what you want. Um, if you have a head that's, say, a little shallow and and slightly longer than it is wide, you're probably going to have that kind of a goat behind that head. You know, is that the kind of goat you want? So I do believe that the the style of the goat that, that is behind the head can usually be seen by the balance, how the balance of the head is. Um, and so, you know, when you get appraised or when you, you get, hear judges give reasons, you hear a lot at um, times of them talking about the balance between the length, width, and depth, and trying to um, get that to be um, a balanced goat behind it, um, if that makes any sense.
1: It does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. And I guess if you can't really visualize what a balanced head looks like, I think – the one thing that really helped me understand it all is kind of the width of the the the, uh, the muzzle and balance, and making sure it's proportional with kind of the length of the jaw, and then kind of the the kind of the fullness of the nostrils. I think that really, to me, if you're thinking about it in terms of the scorecard, those three things really put together a really balanced head, maybe with some more alert eyes. Would you agree with that, Trinity?
2: Yeah, and um, I do agree with that. Um, I think that. When you hear, um, or when I talk about balance, um, I tend to think of like the width between the eyes, the depth at the eye, and then the length of the nose. And then the, the nostrils and the muzzle part, that is part of the strength of the head. And so whatever width you have between the eyes, you want that width to be carried all the way down the end of the nose, um. Rather than say coming to like a pinched point at the end, because you will see goats that have a lot of width between their eyes, but then are quite pinched in the nose. And so the overall balance of the head is more the back part of the head. And then the strength and continuation of the balance is out to the end of the nose and the beautiful flaring nostrils. And when you get those goats that are really deep from the side and the lips are right in between, and there's as much jaw below the lip as there is nose above the lip.
0: You paint a good word picture, Trinity. I can see that in my head, the way you describe that.
1: Awesome there. Um, I think one thing that's not mentioned on here, but I know it's in general appearance as well as breed character. And I wanted to bring that up. And I know it's not a big number. And I mean, it it doesn't really involve in the biomechanics of it all. But I guess in in your opinion and from your experiences, um, how does breed character kind of factor into general appearance? Right.
2: So, I mean, I, I am one, I think breed character is important. I, you know, these breeds are all distinct and they have a breed standard, you know, that we should, and those breed standards were drawn up as, you know, the foundation of the breed. I'm just how, you know, we have this Guernsey breed standard that has just come in. Those people spent a lot of time and effort to develop that breed and come up with a consistent type of appearance for that breed. And so I think that, um, you know, breed characteristics are important um, because we have differentiated the breeds. Now we do judge under a unified scorecard. And so I think that the function of the head can many times trump the breed character. Now, if you have like a Nubian with airplane ears, like that's a serious defect. And so again, knowing the Value of the defects and studying that um, evaluation of defects because you know, a Roman nose is a slight defect, but like airplane ears on a Nubian is a very serious defect. I could be wrong on those, by the way, I'm just pulling them out of my head, but you'll get my drift. (laughs) And so, um, realizing the degree of fault is also something to take into consideration. If you have a La Mancha with a slightly Roman nose, but the animal is functionally the strongest animal in the ring. You're probably not going to comment too much on the nose. But if if you know, and yeah, that's all I have to say on that.
1: <laughs> okay. Well I was just curious. I, you yeah. know, I obviously have alpines. And then sables kind of have a breed standard. Their colors kind of all over the place and the ears are pretty normal.
2: Right, I, I, think just, about the right, birds. I really think that it's, it's a balance between um, you know, understanding that the head as a functional aspect, are they able to eat, you know, do they have good balance, all those things is just as important as breed character. And so when you have such a small amount of points for head, five points for head, that you really have to be careful about not being overly critical of either one of those things and taking away all five points, if
1: Yes. I can totally see that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree on that there. Cool.
0: So I'd like to bring in to this discussion about stature. (laughs) And I know that um, in one of the committees last year, it was discussed, I believe, to take stature off the ADGIS scorecard. Right. So um, that's my committee.
2: I'm the chairman of the type committee. And um, you'll see in our notes here that I wrote stature lame. Um, That's not exactly true, but it just was a reminder that um, I wanted to talk about it. And so, um, you know, in the type committee, we've talked a lot about um, kind of rearranging the scorecard um, under general appearance. And one of the things we've talked about is removing stature and not because stature is an important but um, more that stature has morphed into something more than it is. And so if you read the scorecard and go look at, um, you know, in the guidebook and read the scorecard, um, stature is described as being taller at the withers than you are at the hips. Um, And there's an additional sentence after that, that I can't bring off the top of my head, Um, but something about being you know, with good length throughout or something to that effect, but nowhere under longer, that bone, t-
1: longer bone pattern
2: with a lot, lo- yeah, with a long bone pattern. Yep, yep. And so, you know, nowhere in the scorecard there does it say that goats need to be tall. And we have seen a trend in where very tall animals are getting noticed more. Um, and that very that animals that still meet breed standards by a good amount, um, are seen as less desirable. Um, and we want to steer people away from that because it's not about being tall. It's about being taller at the withers than you are at the hips with a long bone pattern. And you can have a long bone pattern without being 35 inches tall at the withers. And, and this is my own personal opinion, but my own personal opinion is that as we, as you have a goat get taller and taller and taller, in order to stay balanced, you also need them to get proportionately wider and deeper, and that's really hard to do. And so we've left behind some of the angular form that we want goats to have to achieve a really tall and long goat. And, um, and that's my spiel on stature.
0: Trinity, I think anybody who's been in the dairy goat world and especially attended shows has seen a lot of times to the unexperienced eye, it looks like they've taken a ruler and start at the head of the line and just kind of go down there. And you hear, you hear longer and taller, longer and taller and longer and taller used a lot, especially in kid classes. Um, Exactly. And, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that
2: is, and, you know, I hope people that want to become judges, um, you know, can hear this and judges that are out there is, is that, you know, a lot of times we use reasons that are easy for the um, viewer to see. You know, it's really easy to see a goat that's really tall and really level. Um, It's when you say that on the microphone, people are like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's easy to say. And but if you start to think about how that works with the scorecard, um, you know, less emphasis or more emphasis might not be as appropriate because just it's not that important of a thing. I can see that.
1: Okay, Trinity. I've I've pulled up the guidebook right here because I okay. it because I'm a super nerd and I Thank have you. a copy in my email. Um <laughs> so and I'm looking at, at the um because I was I've been thinking about this. Um suggested terminology for reasons when placing dairy goats, and then there's another one as well and it says and it says that a general appearance is also a more attractive framework wouldn't you agree to almost some extent i mean just from viewing it from the naked eye that a more attractive framework could be more upstanding
2: yeah i mean an upstanding upstanding is a great term i love upstanding upstanding has nothing to do with tall upstanding is as mentioned that the animal moves in an uphill nature they move higher at the withers with an up with an erect um, or, you know, a fairly erect neck set and alert head. And then they go down from there to, you know, a nice flat rump and top line.
1: Gotcha. Okay. I just, I wanted some clarification, I guess, for my knowledge and maybe yeah. other listeners that have heard that as well. My next question, I guess, and this refers to bucks, and it's also kind of in this framework here, and I'm going to squeeze it in. It also goes in the front end, and maybe we can talk about the front end next, is we talk about impressive carriage. What exactly does impressive carriage mean?
2: When I think of impressive carriage, um, it's similar to what I just um, kind of talked about, is, is that, you know, you have an animal that when they move naturally, they move with alert upright head that travels you know not out in front of them or slouchy down but travels um upright and alert and that the shoulders you know the withers are nicely elevated and that the neck comes you know out of the top of the shoulder near the top of the shoulders rather than more like a um gooseneck or U neck i think is what we call it um where the neck comes out lower down. And so having that impressive carriage is an animal that carries it. It's like when you think about sitting, in, you know, when you feel um, really proud and you, you know, you put your shoulders back and you're marching forward with confidence and, and fortitude. And, you know, I imagine a goat doing the same thing, a goat that with impressive carriage. And, you know, as a judge and appraiser, like those goats catch your eye, you're like, whoa, look at that one. I need to look at that one again. Whereas if you have a goat that kind of slumps in and, you know, the handler's hanging on the collar in all hopes that maybe you won't notice that they hate holding their head up. And um, maybe those goats don't quite have such an impressive carriage.
0: So you're talking about the goats that have that, we look at me look. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, they catch your eye and and judges say that. They'll say, oh man, that goat really caught my eye when she first walked into the ring And, you know, they do. And it's usually those goats that are really high headed and alert and are showing themselves and the handler is just there for the ride.
1: Gotcha. I think that's a perfect way to kind of segue. We're talking about impressive carriage into the shoulders and the whole front end assembly as a whole there. Um, Trinity, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the, on the shoulders and the front end assembly? And I know it's, it's the neck and it's the front and it's the brisket and it's the shoulder blades and it's the, uh, part of the withers and it's the point of elbow. It's the point of shoulder. It's really that whole front of the goat.
2: Right. And so as you just rambled off all of the things, I think it's easy to say that shoulders are really one of the most challenging, um, pieces of structure to dissect and then when you start applying the scorecard to the shoulder you know it's not a lot of points and so you know trying to balance you know where the faults are and where the strengths are um, with so many moving parts um, that it's easily you know and I see people say this all the time I don't know how to see a good front end you know what are the most important points and so what I kind of thought is you know, is to mention what I consider. Um, and disclaimer, you know, this is all my own personal opinion and derived from my years of experience with goats. Um, there could be other opinions, and you know, to take this all with all of, with a grain of salt. Um, but what I was going to say about shoulders is, is that to me, they're, you know points of emphasis on shoulders. And so um, the very easy one that most people can see very easily is the withers where you want the withers to be elevated from between the shoulder blades and to have um, good prominence without being overly prominent. And, you know, most people can see a really nice set of withers when they walk around, wouldn't you say like, that's probably the easiest thing to say to see in a front end.
0: I would say, I would agree. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. And so I think that that's important and um, is one of the points of emphasis for shoulders. But I also think there are three other really important um, points of emphasis that maybe get overlooked more than the smoothness of the withers. And that is the point of shoulder, the chest floor and brisket, and the point of elbow and um i think it's really important that that we understand that when you look at the goat from the front and the goat moves towards you from the front that as they walk towards you the brisket and chest floor should come first followed by the point of shoulders and you'll see a lot of animals that are very smooth up top in terms of smoothness at the withers But underneath, they lack a lot of depth and extension to the chest. And when they walk towards you, the point of shoulder comes first and kind of caves around the chest. And then the chest is hidden in between the legs. Can you all picture that? I'm closing my eyes and picturing it in my head. (laughs) How am I doing?
0: No, Trinity. Yes. So a question along with that. Yes. Sometimes it seems to me like you see that in younger animals. Kids, maybe yearlings. And then when you look back at that animal again as a three year old or a four year old, it has improved. So, is, in your experience, is that one of the things that can develop with time? Um, it, I think develop is the
2: key word there. And, you know, when I look at young stock or um, young animals, yearlings, you know, kids, yearlings, even two year olds, you know, a lot of what you see. That might not be as ideal as you want comes from a level of immaturity. Um, So, when I'm looking at those animals, when I look at a yearling milker that kitted, you know, in May, and I'm looking at her the first of June and she had triplets, like there's going to be deficiencies in terms of the width of the chest. There's going to be deficiency, you know, depending on the goat. But if you look at the overall proportion of these animals, over time, they get deeper and wider, but the things like the chest coming first and then the shoulder blades fall. Or I mean, then the point of shoulder following. Those are um, proportions that are never going to change. So yes, the chest will come out a little bit, and the shoulders will probably smooth in some. But that animal is generally always still going to some degree not be appropriate in the way that they move towards you they're always going to be somewhat deficient it'll all get more because they're going to mature to their full function but the the proportion of the movement is going to be the same
1: does that make sense
0: yes very much so yes thank you
1: i think in the front of the assembly i think there's just so much to talk about and I, I think about it because I was in a, just a, pre, a, a training conference a couple weeks ago and and they were just talking about the front end assembly. And there's just so much to talk about because there's so many things going on in that front end assembly, especially while moving. Don't you agree, Trinity?
2: Yeah. I mean, all of these things that I'm talking about are just little portions of it. And there's there's so many other things. And, you know, I want to mention briefly, you know, we w- want to have the four leg placed properly under the withers so that when you view the animal from the side and they come to rest naturally, that if you dropped a plumb line from the highest point in the wither through the ground, that the foreleg would fall right in that plumb line. And so um, that's a really important thing. And then when we think about uh, the point of elbow, which was one of my other points of emphasis, is we want that elbow to be laid smoothly against the body wall. And most importantly, and again, I think important to emphasize is that the chest floor should come below the point of elbow so that the elbow has something to lay on. If the chest floor is shallow, then the elbow is kind of suspended in midair and doesn't really have anywhere to lay. And it can affect a lot of the way the smoothness of movement as the animal moves around.
0: Oh, so those does are the ones that are going to be out more pop, pop, possibly at the point of elbow. Um, out or
2: sometimes what happens more often when the chest floor is really shallow is that they actually go too far in and it causes the shoulder to open in the front where the point of shoulder starts to open and then the forelegs twist out. Okay. Because the point that. of elbow naturally wants to lay against something. And so if the chest floor is very narrow and shallow, it has to kind of tuck way in there to attack or to lay. And then you end up with your rotating front legs and where when you look over the top of the goat, they're very narrow at the point of elbow and very wide at the point of shoulder.
1: Okay. I make, I, that makes sense. I can picture it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can too. And, and again, I hope the listeners are really starting to see because this—I mean, this—you paint some vivid pictures. <laughs> it's almost like you're a Picasso with your words of general appearance. So I'm
2: very passionate this, about it. I—I really—I wanted to say that is that I—I am—I evaluate my goats daily, and just the way that it, a goat moves is just fantastic to me. I love it. And being able to dissect and look at all the parts. And so it's really one of my passions, which is why I'm really excited to be here.
1: Awesome.
0: So moving down and looking at the goats, um, after you look at that front end and those beautiful withers and that that blending and the strength throughout there, your eye kind of naturally goes across the animal's back. And um, I think, again, for a newbie, that's uh, an easy place for people to focus on is levelness across that top line. Um, which of course includes, you know, the withers, um, the chine, in the back and the rump. Let's talk about the back a little bit and, and kind of your thoughts on form following function there. Yeah. Um, you know, the back, I,
2: I love that you said, you know, it's the easiest thing to kind of be able to see, you know, because when you read the description, it talks about, you know, being level. And um, that's so easy to see when you look at it go, is she level? Is she not level? That's really easy to see. But the back is also really kind of multifaceted and complicated. And um, at the end of all of this, I want to talk about cause and effect. And um, the back is one of the things that gets affected the most by deficiencies in other areas, like the shoulders or the legs, um, can cause issues with the back, where where it really isn't the back's fault. It's really the fault of the shoulder or the leg or whatever it is. Um, but looking at back, you know, you want the back to be long and level, um, and You know, the appraiser brain in me is again going to talk about proportions. And so when you look at the back, you want the length of your chine, which is from right at the end of the withers to the middle of the back is your chine. And then the loin, which is the middle of the back to the hips, and then the rump, which is the hips to the pins. And you want all of those lengths to be similar so that if, you know, if you have a rump that's nine inches long, you should, your loin should also be nine inches and your chine should also be nine inches. And again, when you think about when when you hear judges talk about balanced does, those does that are balanced in their proportions move about with the most grace and ease. And so balance is important. And do you guys know what an erector set is? Yes. So... When you're doing an erector set, if you get one of the pieces out of whack and you use the wrong length, it throws the whole thing off, right? Like, you can't even complete the project because all of the other conjoining parts are pushed out of whack. Okay, yes. Does does that make sense? Yes. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing with goats, is that if you put in a... A proportion that's completely different than all of the other proportions in the goat, you're going to push something out of whack. So, for example, um, goats that roach really bad in the loin, many times you will notice that the loin is extremely long, where it's more almost twice the length of the chine. And so the loin is having to work exceptionally hard it's doing all the work at the back and so it's compensating and raising up and roaching in order to support all of it because the chine is so short that it's not doing any work at all and so if you think about that in proportions or if you have a rump that's really short it starts to you know look a little different when you have a rump that's not the same length as your chine and loin you you look at that goat and you say wow her rear legs are setting really far forward Well, it's probably because her rump's a little bit short.
0: Uh (laughs) Ah, yes, that makes sense.
2: And so balance is, you know, just balance of proportions. You're you're just going to hear me talk about that basically with every um, category. And it's, you know, it's a really easy way for even newer people to kind of get an idea of, um, you know, The proportions of their goat is to just look at lengths like that. Like, is the chine the same length as the loin? Is it the same length as the rump? All of those things.
1: Well, I mean, thinking about the rump, I think that's the next place to go there, because, you know, when we look at the categories of the scorecard, it's both back and rump. Not mm-hmm. just back anymore. It's it's two distinct things. And that was recently changed by your committee as well, right, Trinity?
2: Yeah. You know, um we we broke it out and we put rump, they're still in the same category, but they it's back and rump because in linear appraisal, um, you know, those two those two traits are evaluated separately. And um, you know, rump is really important and so we wanted to emphasize the fact that, um, you know, that those were kind of two separate entities, and that they reco- that they should have this a similar type of emphasis. And um, rump, you know, rump is, you know, you talk about laying the groundwork, right? Laying the groundwork for the mammary system is the rump, right? Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's like the scaffolding that you can hang that big, beautiful, productive utter on. If you don't have that, if you don't have that width and you don't have that levelness, it makes it difficult to put a big utter in there. Right. And, um,
2: you know, my mentors, when I was going through the linear appraisal program were John, um, white and Eric Germain. and they, told me the garage, you know, the garage story. And so I'm going to tell you the garage story. And, you know, you think about the rump like the garage and you think about the udder like the car that goes in the garage, right? And if you have a garage that's built for, you know, my Honda Civic and you're trying to put a Mack truck in it, isn't gonna fit without ruining the garage. You're gonna take out the roof, you're gonna bust out the sides, you're going to just demolish this garage by putting this Mac truck in it. And udders, you know, I mean you guys are gonna talk about udders lately, but or later, but you know, we want Mac truck udders. We want big, beautiful, round, capacious, well-attached memory systems. And so in order to to facilitate that. You have to have a really long, really wide, really flat rump, like one of those big warehouses that they drive Mack trucks into.
1: Yeah, I, yes, I would agree wholeheartedly. My question for rumps, and this, is, this question is based on personal experience, is there such a thing as too flat of a rump?
2: Flat, you mean from hips to pins or flat from throw to thrill? Hip,
1: throw? Hip, hip, uh, good question there. Hips to pins.
2: Absolutely. Um, just to kind of, I don't think that there's too flat of a rump from throw to throw. Um, you yep. can only get so flat. I mean, so, but you're right. Um, hips to pins. You know, I... I am not a veterinarian, and so I'm not, you know, I can't comment on, like, kidding issues and things like that. Um, but, you know, the theory is, is that when you have an overly flat rump where the pins are starting to rise higher or at the same level as the hips, that um, the theory is that partrition is more difficult and that, more importantly than partrition, is cleaning out after they kid. Um, getting the afterbirth to expel and the uterus to drain and resolve um, properly. You know, the theory is, is that if, you know, you don't have that downward slope in the rump, that that could possibly be more difficult.
1: So as someone that has had this experience with someone who has a flat, too flat of a rump on a goat, the biggest problem, I mean, we've had difficult kiddings with said goat, but also something that I never really realized until we had this problem was when the buck goes to mount the animal, he has issues of doing his job, for lack of a better terms.
2: Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, I have a doe that is a very tall doe. She's extremely tall but she's also in my opinion borderlining on overly level and i every year i struggle and struggle the buck tries so hard and so hard and we have to end up and not even like a small buck i'm talking about a normal size buck and it's difficult for them to breed her because they can't get the right angle because her pins and vulva are too high
1: oh wow oh yeah yeah. I can see that. Oh, oh, my question for you is, have you ever tried to AI that goat, Trinity, transcervically?
2: Um, I have never tried to AI her. Um, I don't use, utilize AI a ton. Um, I have put a speculum in her, and, um, you know, the, the cervix is quite low on goats like that, where it's almost pointing upwards, especially if they're really, really, really deep-bodied. And um, in my experience at um, with AI and goats at the dairy is that you you basically can't AI them without help. You basically have to sling them up in order to get the cervix to even come into your field of vision. <laughs> okay. Interesting.
1: Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Very very interesting. Very interesting on that. But I think that's a good discussion to have because, you know, as we, we try to breed, you know, obviously as goat breeders, we want to continuously improve our animals. But if we want to continuously breed goats that have incredibly flat rumps, you might see other issues as well there if you continuously try to breed on specific traits that you want to improve.
2: Right. And continue to maintain. Exactly. And, um, you know, again similar to our stature talk is that, you know, a really long and extremely flat back and rump is very, um, eye appealing and very easy to see as something that is eye appealing. And so a lot of emphasis gets put on it, but when you go back to our scorecard, um, and read it, it calls for a moderate slope of rump. And so, um, you know, again, just food for thought is to, you know, read, read the scorecard and read where the points of emphasis are, because, you know, a lot of experience and thought process went into developing the scorecard. And there's a reason that those emphasis points are
1: there. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly on that. And and I never really understood it growing up. But until you start and you start to see some of those things and you have bad things happen on your herd, you're like, this starts to make a little bit more sense now.
2: Right. And, and, you know, the whole, and the whole thing about, you know, our scorecard is, is that, um, you know, we're trying to set up an animal to function at a high level for a long period of time and that functioning at a high level for a long period of time doesn't mean just milking a lot it means being able to breed being able to kid being able to withstand heat being able to withstand cold being able to um you know get get up on the stanchion every day being able to do all those things and so um it's not just making a lot of milk but it's doing it well and being able to do all those reproductive things we need them to do um to get through life
0: That makes sense to me. Um, oh, c- kind of moving on to the next next one, um, we have feet on our list. And um, since I spent yesterday trimming every hoof in my herd, I have a small herd, so it's not a huge deal. But still, it's nice to go out there and see all these nice, level, well-trimmed feet. Let's talk a little bit about feet and their function. And, and is it overemphasized or not emphasized enough? Um, You know, feet are a
2: funny one. Um, I, you know, I wrote next to it on their function because um, this is one area of the scorecard where, well, first of all, I want to mention that on the scorecard, feet, legs, and pastern's, that's what it's called, right? Feet, legs, and pastern's, yes, is one category, and it's worth a lot of points. It's worth the most points in all of the general appearance category but to remember that it's feet legs and pasterns and the legs constitute both the front legs and the rear legs and the pastern constitute the pastern and the feet constitute the structure of the hoof. so all those are really separate things and i do feel like you know sometimes we tend to get really hung up on just the foot portion of it and um and forget that all of those 15 points are applied to a lot of other things. Um, and so that's just my opinion. What do you guys think? I mean, what do you guys think about feet?
1: I think you build a goat from, I mean, and it's just like a, it's any type of breeding animal, pig, sheep. Um, swine, llama, even if you're breeding llamas. I mean, you build a breeding animal from the ground up, um, you know, and I think the first and most vital thing is the strength of those feet and then the strength of the legs as well. And it's not just... To me, it's not just how how straight those forelegs are or how angular those back legs are. I think it's the substance, or I don't think, I I know in my personal opinion, it's the substance of bone that you can see in those legs. That's also really important. That's going to maintain this framework of the goat and maintain that udder as well for a long, productive lifetime.
2: Yeah. And you know, since we're talking about feet though, I'm really glad you mentioned because you know when i think you're right you lay the groundwork from the ground up but you talked about strong feet and you talked about strong legs the one thing you didn't mention is strong pasterns and my little spiel on on that category is is that i believe my own personal opinion that feet are really important the structure of the hoof how does the hoof grow the depth of the heel all of those things are really important the legs wow, super important. Like we're going to talk more about legs, but legs are really important for the laying the groundwork of, you know, a a long-lived animal. How strong their pastern is, I have found in my experience very little correlation to longevity and productivity um, based on pastern strength. Um, And that's just my own personal opinion.
0: I had a judge tell me a long time ago when I first got into dairy goats that um, there are lots and lots and lots of 12 year old productive goats in the barn that have terrible pasterns and have had terrible pasterns since they were six. Yeah. Goats don't die of bad pasterns. Absolutely. And, you know, um,
2: the thing, you know, pasterns, the strength of the pastern, a lot of it, you know, and again, we talk about cause and effect. The strength of the pastern, a lot of it, isn't actually the strength of the pastern. It's the effect of some other portion of the goat not working properly. For example, like rear legs. If you if your goat is straight in the rear leg and straight in the stifle from the time they are a young animal, that animal is going to have bad pasterns when they're older. It just is one of the effects of having a straight rear leg because the proportions are all out of whack and the pastern is getting put pressure on in different areas than it should be similarly if you know in your front legs if you have bowed over front legs you're probably going to have some effect um, down to the pastern in the front leg so just realizing that the pastern is generally affected by something else
0: that's going on that's good to know oh
1: yeah I, i kind of agree on that though i mean there's so many other things as well my question for you, like I think the last question I want to ask about pasterns is, do you find that the length of the pastern can be more indicative to the overall strength of it compared to maybe other body parts as well? Yeah.
2: And you know what? You just reminded me of something that I think is that I wanted to say that's really important is, is that, um, you know, pastern length, I do believe that is important because so- to me, there are two p- types of what we call a bad pastern. There's what's called, I call a crunched pastern, and then there's a sprung pastern. So a crunched pastern is where the dew claws stay over the heel, but the whole pastern is soft. And so you see that in, you know, a lot of old goats. Um, you know, that have been working for a long time. Can you guys picture what I'm saying? The dew claw is still over the heel, but the whole pasture is just kind of crunched down. Does that make sense?
0: It almost yeah. looks like, like a little spring. That's, right. that's like, it's just
2: kind of deflated. It feels, it's squished down, right? squished down, right. right?
0: You can look at it and think time or weight of the animal or right. a lot of years of use have, have, squashed
2: it down. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So to me, that is a quote, bad pastern that, uh, you know, I could care less about. That is a goat that's probably worked. That goat's going to work more. There is lots of, um, you know, I've never seen a pastern like that affect an animal's ability to function. A sprung pastern is where the pastern tends to be relatively long and the pastern actually hyper extends, and the dew claws go back beyond the heel and fall to and start to fall to the ground. Can you picture what I'm saying there?
0: Yes, yeah, It's yeah. a wrong angle
2: right, and so that is much more of a worrisome pastern to me, um where the length of the pastern is so long, and the tendons of that pastern aren't able to um. Hold it together. So essentially it's hyperextending rather than um, over flexing. Yes. And on top of that, and if this goes with what Cameron was saying about strength of bone, uh, many times you will see a true sprung pastern comes on an animal that is light in their strength of bone, that doesn't have the substance or the um, power in their bone structure, they tend to be more of a frailer type of animal.
0: I can picture that because I, I know that I've had that in my herd at times. I've seen that. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yep. Cool.
0: Very interesting.
2: So, are we going to talk about legs next? Because I like Let's talk about, about legs. legs. <laughs> Let's yes. talk about legs. So, um, so I'm really passionate about legs love legs those legs are so important they do so much work don't you think
0: oh yeah yeah and, and change I mean you can have a, an animal that's beautiful in every way but if their legs are screwed up you just they're just not beautiful I <laughs> mean you just can't look at them that way anymore
2: right They're you know it's something and it, because the legs if when you have deficiencies in the legs and I'll also add when you have deficiencies in front end, because front end affects front leg usage a lot, um, is, is that those animals just never seem to have that impressive carriage that we like to talk about. Um, they tend to walk with difficulty, if, if that makes any sense. It, you see the effort of the movement when the legs aren't sound. Do you, would you agree?
1: Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to a comment like, like walking on eggshells or like they're just – they look like they're laboring when they walk around the ring.
2: Right. It looks like it's taking effort. They're trying real hard. We don't want goats to try. We want them to float.
0: <laughs> yeah. Float, <laughs> yes. Definitely. I mean, not in a dog show kind of way, but yet you can see some similarities there. You know, when you watch – if you watch somebody gating a dog in a dog show, there are those um, – let's – you know, I love bulldogs, but let's take bulldogs. Nobody's ever going to accuse a bulldog of floating. But there are some breeds of dogs that you can watch that that have, you know, beautiful layback of their shoulder, they have the correct angulations in their legs, and and they do they float around the ring,
2: right? It's like watching a German Shepherd fly float around the ring, like, they're so lovely when they have that impressive upright carriage, and the angulation to the hind legs, and they just Float around the ring. I love watching right. the German Shepherd in the shows. They're amazing. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so legs, I, you know, the front legs, one thing I wanted to say about the front legs, um, you know, just for a brief description, you know, you want the front legs to be straight from the side. When you get in front of the animal, you want the front legs to point directly. You want the toes pointing straight at you. You want the knee pointing straight at you. Um, and... Then you want the the um motion of the leg to be smooth, and you want the leg to function directly under the shoulders, so that when they take a step, the leg is always in the same line moving forward it's not circling out to the side or flipping in um from the front and all of those things you want the leg to kind of swing in the same pendulum line if if that makes any sense when they walk Um, and those are really beautiful forelegs but what i wanted to say about the foreleg is that the shoulder has such a profound effect on the forelegs that you can't really think about the forelegs without taking into consideration what the front end is doing Um, because for example uh, four legs that are placed too far forward where they're not under the tallest point in the wither, those animals tend to throw their legs out in front of them and a lot of times to the side as they walk with kind of this really um, strutted walk where they are stiff and they throw their legs out. Um, and you see it in the front leg, but the effect of that is really coming from the shoulder. It's not really the front legs fault. It's the shoulder's fault that that animal can't walk around. So my, um, you know, for, for people when they're looking at their animals is that when you see the front leg functioning in an odd way, also look at how the shoulder's functioning because most of the time they're related. Um, and for example, um, a lot of times when a goat toes out, what we call toes out, where the toes don't point straight forward and they point east and west. A lot of times that comes from the shoulder, where the whole leg is rotated from the shoulder, all the way down to the ground, and that rotates the front leg out. Also, the front leg can do that where the toes point out, but it starts at the knee. So when you see those toes pointing out, go up to the shoulder. Is it the shoulder's fault? Okay, yeah, it's the shoulder's fault. If it's not the shoulder's fault, it's going to be a twist from the knee down and that's a leg problem, not a shoulder problem. Does that make any sense? The, the front leg is just highly impacted by the shoulder. And so I just want to remind people to take those two things together when they try to evaluate.
0: Makes lots of sense. Yes.
1: Good word pictures. <laughs> so what about, so talking about the front legs, what about those back legs, those rear legs?
2: Yeah. Rear legs. Um, you know, and this is one thing, you know, we talk a lot about the dairy goat industry, um, you know, and people compare it to dairy cows, right? Would you say that? But a lot of times we're kind we're a similar industry, right, in terms of what we're yeah. asking for, a, a productive animal that functions for a long period of time, right?
0: We should be. Yes.
2: Right. And so, um, but the one thing, so rear legs, the one thing that I... Have to say is that cows do not stand on their rear legs. They are not jumping, leaping, frisky um, kind of animals in that way. Would you agree?
0: I haven't so, seen too many cows doing what I see my goats do every day. So yes, I would. Right,
2: I mean, you haven't seen the cow like six feet up in the crook of your tree in the pen, <laughs> right? But the no, baby goat no, is up there. And so, no. um, when I think about rear legs, I just you know a cow rear leg is so different from a goat rear leg because a goat rear leg is meant to spring. So compare it to like a deer, you know, a goat rear leg is like a deer rear leg where um, you, you, they need the, that ability, you know, they don't ask cows to jump up on stanchions. Can you imagine that would be a freaking disaster? So, but we ask goats to jump up on stanchions. And so the spring ability of the rear leg and the usage of the rear leg is really important for all of those like day-to-day functions. Um, And the difference from a cow rear leg to a goat rear leg, the basic thing is that I believe my, my opinion is that a goat rear leg needs more angulation than a cow rear leg because they need more recoil and spring to complete the actions that they are accustomed to. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, very much so. And, and I would, I never really thought about it that way, Trinity, but totally can get that. Right. And so
2: when you look at the rear leg, you know, when you look at it from the side, you want there to be good angulation of the rear leg where it's angulated enough that the um, point of the hawk falls directly below the pin bone and the pin bone, um, I mean, and the leg from the point of the hawk down to the pastern is perpendicular to the ground. Um, that is the ideal leg set from the side. Um, you want from the rear, you want the legs to be wide apart to um, accommodate the mammary system, and you want the hawks to point straight back. And again, when you look from the rear, you want the cannon bone or the, the distance from the hawk, point of the hawk to the foot to be perpendicular to the ground. And um, I will say that the ability for a goat to carry her rear legs wide, is quite dependent on how wide the rump is. And so again, cause and effect, um, a goat that carries her legs close together um, doesn't always, it's not necessarily the leg's fault. It quite possibly is that the goat doesn't quite have a seven inch rump or only has a six inch rump on a standard size goat. And um, that, that rump just isn't allowing those those legs to be carried wider.
0: Interesting. I'm going to go out and measure some rumps.
2: And so in linear appraisal, you know, we, we, we put a lot of emphasis on rump width. It's one of the things that, um, you know, that is actually measured by the appraiser. And, um, you know, it's, again, talking about the smack truck udder that we're looking for, uh, you know, the rump width. And the legs are suspended off of the rump. And so, or not suspended, they're attached to the rump. And... um. And so, if the rump is narrow, then you know likely the legs are going to be narrow also.
0: Agreed. Interesting. Yeah. So when yes. you see a when you see a doe trinity that's what we call posty, who lacks angulation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you contrast postiness with goats that are sickle hocked or over angulated um, in degrees of concern? What what is is, is one better or worse than the other or kind of the same thing? Or do you see one getting better over time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know,
2: either extreme – extremes are generally not that ideal when you think about things. So a goat that's extremely straight or a goat that's extremely sickle-hocked, obviously those are equally undesirable. Um, you know, I've seen goats for the level, I had an Alpine yearling kid this year and her legs were so sickle hawked that they almost looked bowed. It was very extreme, um, unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, um, so obviously going to the far extremes is never good. I will say in my own opinion, having slightly over-angulated young doe, is better than having a slightly under-angulated young doe because I think that we can all see that over time the legs tend to get straighter um, over time. They don't tend to get more angulated over time. They tend to always get straighter. So I tend to be in my own herd a little bit more forgiving of a young doe that is slightly over-angulated than I am of a young doe that's extremely
1: straight at that point already that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense to me. Uh, what about does that, um, and this will call, I tend to call them that maybe don't have enough width behind. And I don't know if we, we, we talked about that yet is width behind and maybe they're, uh, I like to call them fire starters for lack of a better term for their leg, the hawks maybe touching each other.
2: Right. And you know, th- those are really interesting ones to me. And just to, tell a little story of my own herd this year i talked about just now the one alpine yearling that um was a fire starter and i called her exactly that i said that goat is going to start fire with those hawks um i had two though i had one and they were both just to me when they were pregnant equally as atrocious i hated them both um and then the one kitted and her legs just were always stayed bad and were just awful. And then the other one kidded, and with the inception of this mammary system between her legs, um, just magically kind of got wider between the legs, and her hocks kind of evened out and um, was more normal. And so I got to thinking about that, and I went, and guess what I did? I measured their rumps. And the doe whose rump was almost an inch wider than the other doe, her rear legs corrected themselves with the inception of this mammary system. And the other doe whose rump was slightly narrow, not even seven inches, which I like to think of seven inches as kind of my minimum once they hit a year old, um, her rump wasn't quite seven inches. It was only like six and a half inches wide, and those rear legs didn't correct at all.
1: Wow. Interesting. That's, that's interesting.
2: Did I answer your question? I kind of forgot what it was in the beginning.
1: (laughs) My dad and I have had these conversations where, um, I'll be like, oh, you know, that goat's starting a fire. You know, do we really want to keep this goat?" It's like, oh, the udder will push it out. But it, but it's interesting because sometimes they don't. And you're like, hmm, I guess I was right. I guess we need to start correlating rump structure more to bad rear legs and seeing if the udder will help or not compared to just seeing if the width of the mammary system would
2: right. And, and, you know, I think that, um, that kind of goes along and something I I wanted to make sure we talked about, and I've mentioned it several times is cause and effect. Um, and, you know, just thinking that everything is all conjoined together. And so, um, you know, generally one, like, Front legs that are too set too far forward, it's a problem of the shoulder, but it's going to affect also the back because the back is not supported how it should. And then you end up with a goat that's a slightly dippy in the chine, and then she roaches to the loin, and then her rump's a little steeper. And then the same thing like you're talking about. The goat is overangulated on the hind legs. Combined with that, she has a little bit of a narrow rump. Those legs are going to probably stay fire starter for her whole life. Where if you have a goat who's over angulated but has a slightly wider rump, that goat is going to maybe be able to accommodate the mammary system better.
1: That makes perfect sense to me. And I know we're getting a little long here. Um, <laughs> I do what, like do you, what else do you? Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> this is fascinating, and if this this is a very fascinating conversation, and it brings up things definitely to talk about with your friends or your significant other, if they're interested in goats (laughs) as well. Um, I, I know I I will be talking about some of these things um, with my significant other, but Trinity, what else do you want to talk about? I guess what, I mean, do you, what other musings or ideas or word pictures do you want to paint in our heads for us? Because we could go on for days. It sounds like,
2: yeah, you know, I guess, I guess my, like my closing thoughts on it is that, um, you know, and I wrote down here stylish, stylish versus functional. And, um, you know, just realizing that um, a lot of goats can be really exceptional in general appearance without being stylish. And style is something that, you know, is developed and is important. I would say, you know, in the show ring, we talk about style. But in terms of like function and, um, you know, a goat that is a really valuable goat to the dairy goat industry and a goat that represents the dairy goat industry well, you know, they can be exceptional in general appearance and not be a very stylish goat. And I think it's important to recognize that and to not dismiss, um unstylish animals as um, unfunctional animals and that they don't have a place in, you know, in our industry um, and I just think that that's really important and you know I am all about style, I love myself a stylish goat, I try to breed stylish goats and I look for stylish goats in the show ring but I also don't discount those goats that do their job at a really high level um, really well
1: I like to call those goats kind of plain Jane, just, you know, maybe, maybe they're pretty structurally sound and have good general appearance, but they just, they don't jump out at you. And, and yeah, I, but I totally agree with you there. And I think back to some of my judging days and I'm like, I've used plain Jane goats, you know, for grand best in show, you know, winning awards because they were the best ones there, but maybe they're just, they don't jump out at you, but that's so right there that, You know, style is not on the scorecard. It's this hidden area of the scorecard, in my opinion.
2: Right. It's, you know, and it's an aesthetic. You know, we all have aesthetics. And I get that the aesthetics, you know, I have the same aesthetics as a a judge and appraiser, um, you know, that, you know, when I was an appraiser that a lot of other people do. You know, you have goats that catch your eyes and they're stylish and all those things. But, um there's also just a huge variety of goats out there that are really exceptional animals. And my really good friend um, and one of my really good friends who I cannot even begin to repeat her accent says, that's a good old honest goat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We, we had a judge wanted to use, was using things about honest goats too uh, recently. So yeah, I've, Definitely ran into some real honest goats there. Absolutely. So perfect there. Trinity, what are your final thoughts, musings, anything else? Laura kind of dropped off here, so Laura, how do you want to kind of wrap it up here?
2: Um, you know what? I just um am fascinated by goat biomechanics and general appearance, and I encourage everybody else to get as fascinated as I am and spend hours in the barn tearing your hair out over all of the portions of your goats and you know it's just it's a fun thing to do and to have fun with it. And, you know, you can only learn by, you know, seeing a lot of goats. And that's the one thing I'll say is that if you have a chance to go see goats somehow, see some goats you've never seen before, go see goats because the more goats you see, um, you know, the more comfortable you'll be with evaluating all of the different aspects of them. Um, you know, and I think that's where, you know, I've gotten most of my knowledge is just by the sheer volume of goats that I have touched, handled, seen, worked with, um, all of those things. So I encourage people to, um, delve into the world of general appearance.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Trinity. I appreciate it. Trinity, if we wanted to look at some goat song, goats on goats, um, or or look at uh, the Shining Moon Herd, which you manage as well, where can we find information on that?
2: Yeah, um, Goats on Dairy Goats on Facebook. Um, I am not even going to tell you my website because, as most goat people know, it's truly out of date, but I do keep my Facebook page up to date. Um, so check us out on Facebook and Shining Moon. You can check out Shining Moon Ranch on Facebook and their website, ShiningMoonRanch.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Trinity. And thank you listeners as well. Um, We appreciate it there. And um, as always, if you like us, tell a friend. And you can find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts as well there. And um, have a great week, everyone.
0: Hey, Goat Gabbers, so sorry I dropped off. I don't know. We had some technical difficulties, but as always, thank you for joining us, as Cameron said, and we'll see you next week.